to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ meet Laura Spaulding, founder and CEO of Spaulding Decon. She shares how she found herself running what she describes as a recession-proof operation, as well as the unique challenges of franchising a crime scene cleanup company. Vincent admits he's afraid of rats and asks Laura what crimes she thinks she could get away with. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time. Another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products here at Starista. With me, as always, my CEO, my partner in crime, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? I've been responding to a lot of a uh, lot of unsolicited emails this week, but it's all good, as you know. Our uh, big announcement came out for our capital raise, so I've been hit by uh, everything from realtor to uh, people trying to sell me bank accounts uh, and, and everything in the middle. So it's uh, definitely, uh, I guess, it's good to be uh, wanted and loved. Yes, it is, uh, but it seems like. You are wanted and loved just because we came into some uh, money. So that's not always good. Nobody likes that. You know what? I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yes. During COVID-19, it's been you know a, a lonely time. A little bit of uh, you know reaching out and, and talking is is you know is great at these times. But yes, we just made an announcement that we received some growth capital from our partners at Wavecrest. So we appreciate that. That's been the big news uh, here in our world. But speaking of, you know, great news, and we've got, I think, AJ, the most unique guest that we've had thus far. Not discounting all those other amazing guests that we have, talking data and marketing services, but this is by far the most unique uh, and one of the most unique solutions and services I've come across. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast, the CEO of Spalding Decon, Laura Spalding. Hey, Laura. Hey, how are you guys? Doing great. It's a beautiful day here in New York City, and I'm anxious to get out a little bit, but we are doing great. Uh, you're in uh, Tampa, Florida. Is that correct? I am. That's correct. Nice weather all year round, pretty much. Yeah, summer's a bit muggy, but uh, we're we're definitely blessed with the uh, the warm weather. Yeah, I was in Tampa, Florida this past uh, in 2019 to see my New York Giants take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was the uh, one of the few games that the New York Giants won, but I really enjoyed Tampa. Really nice people. And I got to be with my shirt off the whole time, which normally I don't <laughs> do for, you know, for a variety of reasons, but it was a, a fun time. But Laura, let's get right into it. Now you are the CEO of Spalding Decon. Now talk to me about what that is for the people uh, and including myself, who uh, didn't 
wasn't aware of it. Talk to the people out there in the marketing stir about Spalding Decon. Yeah, so we're, we're a company that specializes in cleanup and decontamination of crime scenes and hoarding properties, drug labs, mold and flood remediation. And then we even have a real estate component where we uh, buy some of these distressed, neglected properties as well. That That's amazing. Like when I first heard that, you know, there's so many different aspects of, de- you know, decontamination. But, you know, you see the first thing I said, like crime scene what? This is like some Breaking Bad type stuff here, right? Where you're going in, uh, you know, meth labs. You're, you're, uh, how did this concept come about? How, how did you get started in this business? Well, right out of college, uh, I, I wanted to go into law enforcement. So I started uh, applying to basic, basically every major metro area. And I just happened to uh, get hired with Kansas City, Missouri. So uh, I was going to college at the University of Tennessee. So I, I you know, moved into Kansas City, um, not knowing anyone there, uh, knowing really nothing about the city. So I got hired there and I was uh, in that area for about seven years. I was working in law enforcement. I worked undercover narcotics, undercover vice. And uh, I just, you know, as I matured a little bit, I got quickly disenchanted with the low pay. So I started to look into other avenues and I realized there's very few skills in law enforcement that translate into other businesses. So uh, I went back to school at night and got my MBA. And then uh, once I graduated, I, uh, I started this crime scene cleanup business and it was basically just putting ideas together and figuring out a niche that wasn't being served at the time. And I had a few criterias for what, I, what type of business I wanted to start. Um, you know, I wanted a higher barrier of entry and I wanted something completely recession proof and high margin. And this fit all three of those uh, check check items. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So initially I started doing it uh, moonlighting while I was, you know, uh, a police officer. I was, you know, working of one particular shift and then I would do cleanups on the opposite. And then it got to the point where um, I had to make a decision what, which one I wanted to do. So it was really not a hard decision at all. I hated living in the Midwest. Um, I was making next to no money, uh, doing a ton of work, putting my life on the line. So it was, uh, it was really an easy choice. So I kind of just packed up my bags and moved my uh, new company over here to Florida. And I've been here ever since, going on 15 years. Wow. That, that is fascinating. Just uh, So when you were a police officer, Laura, did you, you know, after some of these crime scenes, did, did you see that there was like a need for this? Uh, you know, what, what did, what spawned it? Yeah. So there was a uh, time period when I was kind of mulling over different types of businesses and I was working a uh, homicide in, uh, in Kansas city area. And when we were getting ready to leave uh, the matriarch, asked us when we were coming back to clean up the scene. And I thought, wow, that's a weird question. But then I thought, I don't know the answer to that. She thinks we clean it up. I don't know who cleans it up and I probably should. So I started looking into it and I realized this is a niche that no one is, is doing, or if they are doing it, they're doing it really poorly because nobody knows who they're, you know, who does this. So once I started to investigate it, uh, this, you know, but was back in 2005, I realized it's, uh, it's a, a hidden type of service that is very much needed, but when somebody does need it, they don't know where to go to get it. 
De- de- definitely not. Uh, you know, I'm, people, you know, you, you've, I've recently come across this. I, I've seen it in like movies, you know. Uh, you know, the question that I have is, you know, you started this was the first of your business. Did you start this in Tampa? And then talk to me about when you started coming up with the idea of, you know, let's franchise this. So I started it in Kansas City, actually. And okay. then I moved it like six months later to Florida when I kind of had to make make that decision. So I moved it over to Tampa in, you know, 2006. And uh, my I was having a conversation with one of my business attorneys around 2012. And the conversation was, you know, the economy was doing, trying to rebound at that point. It was doing still poorly from the 2008 crash. And we were getting a ton of contracts that uh, were setting us up with banks and foreclosures. And I was subcontracting them all around the country outside of the areas that we couldn't service. And he was asking me about that. And I said, you know, it's weird because when we first started doing this, everything, you know, worked really well. Everybody was eager, but now it's 2012 and you can't get subcontractors to call you back. They're not turning in the right paperwork. They're not showing up when they're supposed to. So it was just basically, you know, me venting that they they weren't doing what they were supposed to. And he responds with, you should franchise your business. And I thought, I don't know the first thing about franchising. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And he said, you should look into it. He said, you already have the process. You already have the system set up. It wouldn't be much for you to do it. So I really kind of blew it off at that time. Well, then fast forward to 2015. And I thought, you know, I'm going to think about this again because, you know, kind of the same situation was happening. So I decided to do it. And um, it's been a roller coaster ever since, to say the least. So what kind of uh, competition do you have in the space? Are there uh, a lot of companies doing this or are there just a handful? We'd love to understand the competitive landscape. Yeah, so it's very interesting for our type of uh, our type of business. So because we have 14 streams of revenue, there's no one particular company that it's our direct competitor. But we do have you know, several companies that maybe do mold and water remediation, but then they maybe don't do biohazard and drug labs. Or if you have a biohazard and drug lab company, maybe they don't do the real estate or the hoarding or the mold, you know? So it's, it's very fragmented on, on, in this type of business. Um, There's not, you know, more than a a small handful of, of big players. Uh, It's mostly kind of mom and pop stuff and, and people that kind of moonlight when they're doing it. Gotcha. And then, um, do you spend much on uh, marketing right now? Yes, quite a bit. So we, what we did was it's always been my goal for about 10 years. It didn't take me very long to realize that, you know, you, these uh, digital marketing companies are just literally beating down your door. You know, we want to do your AdWords. We want to do your SEO for you and, you know, the pay-per-click and the whole thing. And, you know, you literally will go from company to company and not get any better results. And I was just beating my head against the window. And I was, you know, finally about 10 years ago, I said, one day we're going to be able to afford to bring this in house because I think these, these third party companies, they're only giving us about two to three hours a month. That's why we're not seeing the results that we should see. So that's always been my number one goal. And now we're to the point, you know, we have over 30 locations and we finally brought our own digital marketing team in house. Um, and we also have a media team that does our YouTube channel and our, all of our social media. 
And it's been great because they'll work collectively and we're, we're getting fantastic results. Got you. I'm sorry to hear about your uh, poor experience with uh, marketing companies. But uh, when you're doing it uh, in-house, what are kind of some of the channels that you're uh, focused on right now? Um, well, like I said, for our type of business, um, it's probably not something that's on the forefront of most people's minds because it's emergency based. So with that being said, we want we have to do very well uh, on pay-per-click because when most people you know have some type of emergency need, the first thing that they do is go to Google or you know Bing or whatever and, and look for a particular company. So we're very heavy into digital marketing. Um, and we have to be pretty strategic about how we market in general, because it's not the type of service that people want in their face. So it's, you know, it's not something that you really want to put on a billboard. Um, and then if you, you know, run like a TV commercial, it needs to be extremely strategic to make sure it's not death related. You, you'd probably want to go the other type of services like the, the hoarding or the, um, you know, mold or flood type stuff that happens more frequently. And are you, uh, who, who's kind of your ideal target? Are you looking for more kind of partnerships with police departments? Uh, so you, is your audience somewhat limited to that? No, it's actually the opposite. So police departments aren't allowed or they're not supposed to be um, referring any type of for-profit company. So it, whether you get into like a vehicle accident, they can't even refer you a tow, tow truck company. So it's something that, you know, they, they do either by contract well, for our particular services, it's uh, it's very few and far between to have a city or, or um, county contract. Very few states offer that. California is a big one. Just about every city and county there, they have a potential for a contract. Um, I'm in Florida, and we have one city in the entire state that offers contract for what we do. So we don't spend a lot of time marketing to them. I find it futile. Uh, we, we focus more on uh, large corporations like hotels and apartment communities uh, where multiple people are essentially under one roof. And Laura, tell the audience again, how many uh, franchises are there currently? Um, we just uh, awarded 11 more here in the last uh, 30 days. So we're essentially doubling our system um in just the we're not even done with the second quarter here so that'll bring us to uh and mo most of them own more than one so that'll bring us to about 34 units wow and do you remember the first one outside of uh yours yes unfortunately he was a tragic disaster <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh, one mistake after another you know franchising is is very unique and it's something that you have to learn um, I was, you know, very naive when I started franchising and I thought, you know, uh, if you know your business and you, you can franchise it cause you can teach your business, but, uh, it, it's not that easy. Franchising is a whole different thing. You're, you're mostly a consultant, uh, in a coaching capacity than you are running your business. And are you, you know, tell us, uh, you know, your role now, uh, as, as the CEO, are you, you know, kind of visiting, uh, you know, communicating with all the franchise owners? Um, you know, when did you and, and when did you stop kind of being in the field? Yeah, so um, we're on our 15th year. Um, I actually enjoy being in the field. I don't get to do it very often at all. 
But uh, I stopped being in the field probably three, four years ago when I started franchising. So I started out in development myself, which is awarding the territories. And then um, I decided I wanted to take a more of an operational role. So I hired somebody on the outside to, uh, to take over development. And it was okay. It just doesn't work out very well because anytime you have a, a salesperson, they're motivated to get quantity versus quality. So I ended up taking that back and now I'm, I'm in a franchise development role. So I am, you know, the uh, person that, that vets these people that goes through the pro formas and the budgeting and the financial aspect of it. And we handpick all of the franchisees that we bring on board. That's awesome. Now, if I may, Laura, can I talk to you about some questions, uh, you know, talk to you and have some questions about the field because there's, I got to, there's, there's a lot of things on my mind, you know, when you see this, you know, plus you, you know, your background as a police officer, can you tell us the, I don't know if it's the worst or, or the worst crime scene that you've ever had to be a part of as far as cleaning? You know, all of them are bad. Um, yeah. but you know, I think in my opinion, what makes them worse is not so much how they die, but where they die, uh, because it matters from a cleanup perspective. So believe it or not, the kitchen is one of the worst places to die because you have appliances, you have cabinets with kick plates, um, you know, ovens, and there's just a ton of stuff there. And so that is very detailed and a very tight space usually to clean up. So, you know, we'll get um, suicides, the shotgun suicides that take place in bedrooms and they don't close the door when they're doing it. So, um, the brain matter just kind of boomerangs down the hall or into another room. So it's, it's quite the mess. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's like it, it becomes vivid, you know, Laura, you know how I know that you're, you, you're kind of perfect for this. You're so even keeled. <laughs> you know, yeah. I see you are so even killed. And I think you have to be in a situation yeah. like that. I mean, I, I just, I love your, you know, I, I, you know, your demeanor and it's, it's, it's probably perfect for, you know, for this. Talk to me about the, like, I would imagine now during, during COVID and you just mentioned you added 11 new franchises is a lot of the adding of these franchises around COVID and as, and as far as like the, you know, the decontamination of businesses and offices and restaurants. Yeah, it actually is. So, you know, we knew that we were going to get a giant boost in business on the cleanup side, but what I really didn't anticipate was the boost in business on the franchising side. And overwhelmingly uh, the callers would say, you know, I was looking at a restaurant or I was looking at a gym, but now no way I'm not going to allow, you know, uh, or be, you know, in a, in a position to where the government can just close my business down and I'm stuck. So I get it. I hear it. Um, and we got probably 10 times the amount of inquiries that we would normally get in the same period of time. And it was that we want recession proof and we want something that is not going to be uh, easily just thrown away. Interesting. So I watch quite a few crime shows. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Blacklist, where almost every episode, Raymond Reddington has a uh, cleaner that comes in and kind of uh, takes care of business. It's 
So I was curious compared to kind of the TV depiction of uh, cleaning, what's kind of the reality of how long it takes and how many, how many people are involved in uh, cleaning a, a typical crime scene? Not that there's anything typical about a, every crime. Yeah, so I would say um, most of the stuff that you see on TV is not realistic uh, because it, it just looks like kind of, uh, you know, a, a grosser type of cleanup as opposed to there's actually quite a bit of construction involved. And I find that most of these shows never show that. You know, of many cases, we're removing walls and baseboards and hardwood floors. And we've had cases where, you know, uh, people have died and decomposed and literally melted through the floor into the unit below them. So, you know, it's a gigantic type of cleanup, but I find that they never depict that on TV. Gotcha. And what's kind of the average time it takes to uh, finish the crime scene? Yeah, it's it, it definitely varies depending on what it is. You know, it could uh, we've had some that have taken uh, up to two weeks. Uh, that were terrible. And, uh, but I would say on average, you're probably looking at four to six hours for a couple people. Got it. Got it. And are there uh, any particular TV shows that uh, you like that uh, you, you enjoy in this genre? You know, there is uh, one that is very accurate in my opinion. And uh, the first time I saw it, I was actually in London and uh, I realized that they, they weren't airing it in the States. It was on Netflix. And then all of a sudden here in the last six months, I've noticed that uh, it's now in the U.S. And it's on Netflix. And I, it's, I think it's called The Cleaner. Um, and it's, it's the guy that, that owns the crime scene cleanup company is actually very thorough. And he's very accurate at how he does it. Yeah, I've actually, yeah, I've actually heard of that one. Yeah, that yeah. one's pretty much the only one that I think is super accurate. You know, Laura, if you don't mind me asking, I, I, I'm just curious, like, how is, you know, you mentioned some of them take a couple weeks. Is this, is it usually charged like hourly? It is. It is. Wow. Okay. And, and, you know, other popular shows right now have been, you know, hoarders and hoarding. You mentioned that you're cleaning around that. What, what's the worst, you know, hoarding story you have that you're like you just you go in and clean it and there's like 15 little rats or you know that would scare the yeah. hell out of me. i hate rats so much i hate them so much i don't know why i live in new york city but anyway but uh, <laughs> one ran you know, into the... my foot a few months ago oh i was God, like, devastated yeah. my little three-year-old son tells everyone how i screamed i can't <laughs> shake that but anyway like t talk to me about uh the, you know the hoarding aspect of that you know, one job that comes to mind and the reason that this is, you know, constantly on the forefront of my mind, uh, we actually, it's part of our reality series. It was the Pet Cemetery episode. Uh, we have a part one, a part two, and then a big reveal. So what that was, was uh, we got called by um, the adult children uh, of a woman uh, who discovered their mother and their adult sister uh, deceased inside their home. And when they walked in, uh, there was 80 some cats, some dead, some alive. And uh, it was in an extreme hoarding state to the point where you, uh, the, the lights on the house, like it was all the way to the ceiling. So even if you turned on the lights, you couldn't see anything. So we, I, we, you know, we went over there and it was a monumental cleanup. You know, it would have been, it would have taken probably two to three weeks. So, you know, I offered to uh, buy the property from her and they were 
more than eager to to just let it go and walk away. So we ended up buying it, and it was you know a, a complete disaster. We had to, to basically tear it down to nothing and then rebuild it. And uh, now I'm happy to say that I have a nice tenant in there, and the house is completely remodeled. And uh, if you watch the show on YouTube, you will never believe it's the same house. You, you can't see me, Laura, but my mouth is dropped. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. First of all, I, you know, I'm like, I cringe. Cause there's like, you know, first of all, I'm allergic to cats and <laughs> well, actually in this case, I probably wouldn't sneeze much, but, um, but there, wow. That's just, you could picture it. It's so vivid. Uh, well, it was, and yeah. you know, animal control got out the living cats and, um, took the bodies that were, you know, visible, but we ended up, you know, finding mummified cats when we were going through and, I think the worst part of it was the rats and the roaches. Oh, uh, nope. They were just, I've never seen so many roaches in my life. I mean, they were literally coming out of the electrical sockets. Like they were behind the walls. And, it took oh. us uh, 32 bombs twice and a pest control guy to kill everything. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like cringing. This yeah, is crazy. So uh, a couple things that I want to let the viewers know that you mentioned the reality series. Where can yes. people find that? Yeah, that's on YouTube. Uh, just go to YouTube and type in crime scene cleaning, one word, and uh, you'll go to our channel here. We're in season four right now of the series and uh, it's doing extremely well. Wow. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I have to, you know, definitely, you know, take, take a look at that. So in this, so another question I have is <laughs> the, when you are remodeling these homes that one was a complete tear down and, and build up when you're i would imagine some of them it's there were maybe murders there um yep are, are you uh, how much are you sharing how much do you have to share with the people buying the home i don't know the legalities around it but you know but is it kind of like well this is you know this is marble countertops this is beautiful three people were killed there um <laughs> you know we have uh, you know, we have fixed recess lighting. Like, wh how are you? Uh, what's that process? Yeah, it actually varies by state. So in Florida, we're not required to disclose any home that's had a homicide or a suicide in it. Oh, wow. Or a death of any kind. In, Florida, in Florida has its so, own rules, it seems. Uh, so many. Well, I mean, in more <laughs> ways than one, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So other states require it. We're coming to the kind of the business side of things. How's your uh, company structured uh, in the corporate environment? Who are some of your kind of key departments that are managing the uh, governing side of the company? Yeah, so we're, it seems like we've grown substantially just this year. So we've, we've added on, you know, the digital marketing department there. Um, the media department is a year old, maybe a, a year and a couple months old. And they're the ones that take care of all of the um, not only the YouTube stuff, but the social media stuff and all the sponsor inquiries for us. And then we have um, a business development person that gets all of our government contracts and large contracts uh, for us and our franchisees. Um, and then we have franchise coaches that uh, are the basically the lifeline to franchisees should they need help with anything from estimating to, um, you know, how do I do this or that? Or, you know, what chemical do I use for this? So they're constantly available. And then we have, of course, call center staff and accounting staff that uh, that help them with all that stuff as well. Gotcha. And then how do you kind of train uh, train your new franchisees or anyone really for uh, the first time in 
cleaning a crime scene. Yeah. So that's an interesting part. So I found that, you know, when I got trained, you know, 15 years ago, I found that the the most useful uh, portion of the training that I received was actually the hands-on. So what I decided to do was um, we have a pretty big facility here in Tampa. Uh, it's a 14,000 square foot building. So we took a portion of the of the warehouse section and we created three separate rooms, like a mock bedroom, a mock living room, and a kitchen. And uh, we changed the flooring in there. We changed the furniture in there. And then we used pig's blood as simulation. And we create scenes that we have experienced in the past. And we teach franchisees how to clean each type of uh, surface, whether it's carpet or hardwoods or plywood or furniture or whatever it might be. So they're able to practice in a controlled environment without feeling, you know, like somebody's looking over their shoulder. And then once that happens, we take them in the field with our Tampa crews and uh, they get to do live uh, type cleanups of whatever comes in during that period of time. And then we have, of course, about 40 hours of classroom work as well. And then uh, we have a, a bunch of online stuff that they have to do as well. So it's, it's a lengthy training. Cool. And uh, what's the, uh, what's kind of the, how long does it take from the time somebody joins to actually being able to do something on their own or are people ever on their own? Is it always a group of people that go in to do the cleaning? Yeah. So the franchise owner, when they leave training, uh, they're typically ready to go. They're, they're opening up their business. They're setting up their, their location and then their franchise coach helps them uh, start mark. You know, the marketing department is handling their website and their, their pay-per-click and all that. And then they're ready to go. So it's pretty quickly from the time that they uh, leave training to the time they get their first job. And do you remember your first uh, crime scene that you had to clean up personally? I sure do. I will never forget it. Definitely. It was a homicide on Christmas Day. And uh, it was in one of the suburb communities there in Kansas City. And it was a uh, two cousins that ended up shooting each other in the house. And it was ceramic tile and the blood went into the door frame. And I was, of course, by myself. I was the sole employee at the time. And uh, I remember after I finished the job, I was like, this is definitely for me. You know, I made more in these, you know, day and a half than I make in three months as a cop. So I knew, I knew it was definitely for me. Wow. On Christmas day. Yeah. uh, You know, I have so many more questions around that stuff, but I want to also get to the marketing uh, because, you know, marketing stir, there's a lot of people who are curious. We work with a lot of franchise uh, franchises as well. Nothing like this, Uh, but so do the individual franchise owners have kind of their, they they have to establish their own marketing budget, Laura, or uh, how does that work? They direct us on uh, how much they're spending on digital side, uh, and we we can implement that for them. But we we do stuff at the national level, and then they'll do stuff at the local level. So, in other words, if they want to, you know, sponsor a little league team, that's on them. You know, obviously, we want them to grow their market in their local locate in their local market, and then we'll handle the stuff from more of a national and SEO perspective. Got it. And and I would imagine now, right, a a, a pivot. Because you said a lot of it, there's aspects of it that are very much emergency services. But I would imagine now there's an opportunity for you and a lot of your franchise owners to 
do a display campaign or an email campaign to restaurant owners, uh, factories, manufacturing facilities. I would imagine that that's opened up a a large market for you. Yeah, it actually has. So it it has, COVID has introduced us to businesses and markets that we were never in to begin with. So like you said, manufacturing and restaurants and stuff. So when we started getting the calls from them, uh, to do disinfection work, whether it be, you know, preventative maintenance or they had a, an exposure of some kind. We are, you know, really stepped up the marketing on that email campaigns, you know, like you said, retargeting, you know, we're, we're pretty much doing it all. And we're able to pivot much more easily being that we have the market or the personnel here in-house. So, you know, a franchisee calls and says, you know, I just scored a, a big job with, you know, whatever, and they happen to have 15 locations. So my marketing people can get on that right away and then pass it over to business development. They start calling the other locations for the same thing. So we're, we're much quicker on our reaction than we would if we had to subcontract that out. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, even at, at Sarista here, you know, we're, we're, an, we're an identity marketing company. We help businesses generate new customers. Uh, a, an area for us now, Laura, has been people reaching out to us, businesses that are into plastics and sealants, and we're helping them market their services. They've been reaching out to us. Now you go to a, a CVS, you go to a drugstore, you go to, uh, you know, you go to the Dunkin' Donuts, there's all these plastics in front of the registers. So that's a business that we never thought we would be marketing. Right. And we're helping them get new customers. And then from that, doing kind of what you're doing, we started working with one. Then our sales team called on another company just like it. And we started working with them. It's just a a matter of, you know, there's some obvious areas that Sarist is helping where, oh, a a lot of the conferencing companies, web conferencing companies, well, they'll need more, you know, more customers and they'll want more right. customers, but yeah, we're, we're, we're finding other markets that we've never worked with before. And we're helping exactly. them tremendously. Yeah. And this has just been over the last three months. Uh, another question, a personal question that I have, right. Sure. You don't have to answer this, <laughs> but do you think you'd be able to get away with murder? <laughs> um, you know, I've been asked that a hundred times, so don't. Oh don't wow, have you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's everybody's kind of go to at a at a networking meeting or a party or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, my answer to that is yes, if I did not know the person. Yeah. So um, it, when you when you know the person, obviously your sphere of influence is is the first people that you look at. But yeah, it, I don't think it would be too difficult. Interesting. Interesting. Good. Thank you for answering that question. <laughs> At least, uh, at least in the movies, they always say a good serial killer always uh, goes after people they don't know. So. Exactly, exactly, and that's why people get caught. It's the people that have, you know, some type of uh, crime of passion, so to speak. They're the ones that get caught. Right, and then kind of uh, on coming back to the uh, corporate aspect of it, uh, what do you think uh, has made you a successful leader in the space? Uh, you know, looking back on it now, I can, I can say more objectively what it was because, uh, I did not start out on a, on a good foot by any means. I had no money, uh, no investment, uh, no friends, family, nothing. So, and I didn't even have any savings at the time. So I was really bootstrapping everything. 
I mean, I was literally printing my own business cards that were perforated at my house and I made my own crappy website. Like I didn't have anything, but what I did have was the ambition and the thick skin to go door to door to try to get the work and introduce myself. Cause honestly, I wasn't going to get it any other way. I had no marketing budget. So I would say it's perseverance um, and, you know, being willing to persevere over, you know, getting a hundred no's before you hear that one. Yes. Yeah. I, I can definitely relate to that. I had a similar experience starting uh, Starista as well. I uh, did it bootstrapped. So definitely, yeah, it's rough. It's definitely rough. And, you know, I try to uh, relay that to franchisees because they're coming from a much better position than I did. Clearly, if they're buying into a franchise, I couldn't have afforded that. But what I try to teach them is you're going to get a hundred no's before you get a yes. And your resilience is what's going to say whether you're going to make it in business or not. And what kind of backgrounds do you look for in your franchisees that you think will make them successful? You know, I like uh, military and heavy sales experience. Military, because they can follow a system and the process. They're used to it. They're very good at it. And then the sales experience, because like I said, they, they can easily take 100 no's before they get that yes. Gotcha. And, and, and have you had people start the franchisee who have not done crime scene been before is it typically people that have done it and feel like they'll blend in to the system no yeah it's actually quite the opposite we don't we don't have anybody that's done it before this is all brand new for everybody they're buying into the business for the same three reasons that i started the business yeah i would say this is not for the uh faint-hearted so kudos to you for finding these folks who are interested in starting a business and, and yeah for your Future growth plans, do you have plans on uh, expanding into other states as well? Yeah, we do. So we're in, gosh, I don't know how many states right now. Off the top of my head, I think we're in 12 to 14 states. So the, the plan is uh, to get 100 locations here in the next two to three years. Um, and then, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to grow no more than 25 locations per year because we want to make sure that we're heavy on the coaching side and the support to make sure that they're all successful. Now, Laura, in the past, did you ever go to, because I know Strista's attended these shows, uh, you know, where there's these the franchise expositions. Have you ever, you know, done booths, trade shows to get the word out? I have not. You know, I'm probably the antithesis of most franchisors. Uh, most franchisors spend a ton of money on uh, recruitment and development, and we just don't. And, you know, I find that we're very lucky because we have almost a cult-like following on uh, social media, and we get a ton of uh, inquiries from our social media, but then we also get a ton of people that come to us from franchise consultants that these people are just desperate looking for, you know, recession proof businesses. So they send them straight to us. So I really have to do very little in recruitment and I spend very little in recruitment, which is fantastic, but it's also quite opposite of most franchisors. That, that is interesting. And is there, is there, uh, you know, is there one individual owner who kind of owns, you know, what's the most, franchises franchises that one individual owner owns within you know we've got um in uh, a married couple former military former law enforcement that own three territories in the atlanta area um they're 
doing absolutely fantastic. They just bought their third uh, territory. Um, you know, they're they're breaking all kinds of records in sales. So I couldn't be happier for them. It couldn't have happened to nicer people. That's awesome. And uh, I was just looking at your uh, YouTube page, you know, um, crime scene cleaning, you know, 278,000 subscribers. Yeah. Congratulations on that, Thank Laura. You. It looks very, very, you know, compelling and professionally done. Let's talk some fun, right? Let's, okay. you know, uh, Laura, what do you do for fun? You know, uh, speaking of franchises, I am uh, a big fan of Orange Theory Fitness. And I go uh, probably six to seven days a week. I absolutely love it. Um, I also cycle quite a bit. I read a lot of business and real estate investment books. Uh, and I try to network when I can with uh, real estate professionals and investors. Awesome. And, and how, you know, how have you been, have you been any downtime during this, you know, COVID? Or are you just, like you said, you've been busier than ever? Yeah, actually we were, you know, we never closed because obviously we're essential. And uh, we, these poor guys had uh, no days off in over three weeks. I was flying them all over the country uh, in states where we have no franchise representation that we were having to cover, um, you know, Kentucky, Chicago areas and uh, to handle all the volume. So I'm, I'm happy to say that we didn't say no to anyone. We absolutely got to everyone that, that requested it and needed the services. But it was it was tough. I mean, no days off. We were all working very long days. We were traveling, which, you know, the, the whole flight situation was quite easy. There was no lines or anything. So most of the flights we had was uh, were pretty empty, actually. Cool. And, and Laura, what's kind of the uh, some of the advice that you would give to people that want to start their business, especially coming out of this? Uh, it, it looks like it'll be a, at least a small recession. So. You know, yeah, so the, my, you know, I've, I was asked this a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, and my answer is whether you have a business that was hit by this negatively, I think it's a good opportunity for you to take and look at your business and pivot in some way. So, um, you know, just to put like in simple terms, if you were had a restaurant and you had absolutely zero takeout service, this might be a great time for you to start opening takeout and delivery to try to pivot and do that. And, you know, obviously you had to lay people off. You have to, you have to get skinny, but if you're, if you're thinking about starting a business, you need to look at, you know, not only your quality of life, because I find a lot of franchise candidates, that's their first thing, you know, what kind of quality of life am I going to be working a hundred hours a week? And, but you shouldn't only look at that. You need to look at, you know, is, is this type of business going to be impacted by a recession or by a, a health crisis, a pandemic, you know, there's so many different things that could affect it. And, uh, you know, so I think a totality, when you take a big look at it, you step back and you say, how can we pivot our business if this happens? That's crucial. Are there people in your life or people that you look up to that have uh, helped you, whether it's uh, kind of a, a mentor figure or a writer that you like or a book that's influenced you? You know, unfortunately, I've never had a, a mentor uh, in my entire life. So what I did do is, you know, I, I'm a big believer in you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So 
Uh, I'm a member of EO and I'm uh, in the process of joining uh, WPO, which is Women's President's Organization. And uh, that has really surrounded me with people that are more successful than me, which is fantastic. That's who exactly who I want to be around. And that's how I'm going to get better is by, is by being around those types of people. But in terms of books, I, you know, I read a lot of real estate investment type books, but one recently that I've read that has nothing to do with really business or uh, real estate, it has to do with mindset and it's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. It's got to be one of my favorite books. I've read it twice already, and uh, I highly recommend it if you are uh, struggling in some way with mindset. That's, uh, that's great advice, Laura. As we begin to wrap up the podcast here, these are two questions that we ask all of our guests because it is a marketing show. Uh, your marketing pet peeves and then a personal pet peeve. Oh, boy. Um <laughs> Marketing pet peeves, I think, would be um, the massive amount of non-targeted, unsolicited emails that I get uh, that are uh, just completely from left field. Uh, you know, that stuff that you'd never opt into, but you end up getting on somebody's list. Uh, stuff that, you know, has nothing to do with, with me or the business. So that's annoying because it clogs up your, uh, your inbox there. Um, personal pet peeve. Um, Gosh, I think it's excuses. I have a big sign on my in my office here, and it's the first thing you see when you walk into my office is it says you can't deposit excuses, and uh, we don't accept any type of excuses here. So if if a customer's upset because something was missed, uh, and I ask the employee about it, I don't want to hear an excuse. What you should be saying is, "Yep, I missed it. I'm headed back to fix it." So I'm big on, I don't want to hear excuses, just get it done. I love that. What a great way to, uh, you know, to end the podcast. Now, Laura, where could people find out about Spalding Decon? Where could people find out, uh, uh, you know, about more about you, uh, the YouTube channel? Let our audience know. Yeah, so the YouTube channel, it's again, it's on series uh, season four, and it's at youtube.com slash crime scene cleaning. Uh, we have a pretty uh, graphic, uh, uncensored uh, Instagram page as well. It's also Crime Scene Cleaning. Um, and our website, if you're interested in learning more about franchising or the business and services in general, it's just spaldingdecon.com. You can click, click slash franchise. That is awesome. Laura, this has been uh, very interesting. I was at the, you know, my, my jaw was dropped the whole time. <laughs> Thank you for answering, you know, some of my silly questions, but I was really intrigued. And, you know, AJ and I both thank you for joining the Marketing Stir. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is Laura Spaulding. She is the CEO of Spaulding Decon. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Vincent Petrofessa. With me, as always, is AJ Gupta. This has been another episode of the Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.